You're listening to Solid Sound on Dublin South FM, and joining me online is... Block Data. How you doing, Manuel? Hi, I'm very well, mate. How are you? Oh, good, thanks. Is it windy? There's freak winds, man. You need to eject clear. <laughs> Make sure you uh, you pull the right cord. That's right. I think it's appropriate that we've got this uh, starting off with such bad winds going on at the moment, uh, such bad weather. It's not too bad up where, where we are. We're in Newcastle, and it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty all right at the moment. Why do I always think you're from Scotland? You're from Scotland originally, aren't you? I am. I am Scottish, even though my accent is a bit all over the place. Um, I am originally from Scotland, um, from a little town just outside of Stirling called Fintry. That's where I grew up. Um, but I moved down to Newcastle in 2015, I think it was, to start uh, working in the games industry. Oh, no, to kind of start a new job in the games industry. I'd done it for about six years beforehand. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. So, uh, hyperspeed, right? It's good tuned, good starter. <laughs> not bad, eh? I do like it, yeah. I, I love this tune. I, I, admittedly, I'm not the biggest Prodigy fan, to be honest with you, but this, this first album and this tune specifically off this one, I first heard this one, I think, um, when I accidentally bought the wrong Prodigy CD at a jumble sale in my local village hall in Fintry. Um, I guess it's probably the first rave tune I'd ever heard before I even knew really what rave or old school was. Well, it probably wasn't called old school then at the time. No, it wasn't. No, we just called it rave back then. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I remember I must have been like 12 or 13. I can't really remember. Dates and years and that are a bit of a tricky one, but uh, I remember hearing it being like, what the fuck is this? Like, I wasn't even really sure if I liked it at first. And admittedly, I didn't hear rave probably for another 10 years or so after that I just had this one CD in my in my music collection that was that had nothing to do with the rest of it but when I when I did hear it again something kind of clicked and I was like shit that's that's taking me back to that kind of time in my life and that's when I started to seek it out again so you're into heavy metal uh, and like you know guitar bass music and that sort of stuff and then you thought I know I'm gonna go and buy Fat of the Land or something like that was that where you were it was, um, I can't remember what it was that was out at the time. I think it was music for the Jilted Generation, right? And I'd heard a couple bits and bobs on the radio and, you know, they were kind of starting to lean into guitar stuff then, I think, um, or tracks like Voodoo People and that. And it had a kind of a bit of a, like a rock sound to it. And, you know, loads of my mates in school were kind of talking about the Prodigy, this, that, and the next thing. And yeah, that, I think that was the record that I was trying to buy and I just saw that CD sitting there and I was like, how much for that? And I think it was like two pounds or something they wanted, you know? Criminal. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, and yeah, it's it was a weird one. Like, I didn't really like electronic music at all at that point. You're, you're absolutely right. Like, I was raised on a, a, a diet of, um, of metal that my dad kind of showed me from a very early age um, and it was always kind of an outlier in my in my CD collection um, whereas now it's kind of like commonplace I cut my teeth on this sort of rave music, you know, back in 92. And as you say, back then, we didn't call it old school. We called it the future. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a great one. I, I love the beeps in this, you know. Beep, beep, beep. Oh, I love the beeps. Beeps are the best bit. It's so class. I don't know what that person's saying. 
heap, heap, ha, heap, ha. I always try to work this out. Me and Jillian were listening to this, like, my wife, uh, we were listening to it the other weekend there, pissed as farts, and I was like, what the fuck is that? What, what, what are those words? <laughs> we're just sitting there trying to work it out. Happens a lot of tunes, though. That's a very good question. Yeah, what is this? I mean, it's just like, hippa, hippa, hippa. It's just like, I don't know, random noise, isn't it? It's like... <laughs> totally. Yeah, this this happens to me quite a lot when I'm making music though, like um, back in the day when I was making a lot of jungle and breakcore, as Baby Shaker, I would just grab any like rag of vocal and stick it over a track because I liked the kind of rhythmic phrasing of it. I had no idea what they were saying. Um, and a little later down the line, I found out it was some pretty degenerate lyrics <laughs> that I'd been using, so I quickly kind of cut that out. It's interesting, the vocal for the sound of it. I was thinking the other day, you know how, I don't know much about rap, I don't know how much you know about rap, but you know how a lot of rap, maybe drill, I don't know what it is, grind, they're using a lot of sounds rather than words, you know, like all this blah, 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 sort of stuff. I wonder at what point will that rap music go back to scat? You know, the original jazz. That's brilliant. No, you've you got a good point there. It's starting to veer towards that, isn't it? There's, I, I don't know, but it seems like a fairly recent, um, a fairly recent thing, isn't it? I don't know enough about that sort of music, which is probably a good thing. Scat or rap. <laughs> <laughs> Either one. I guess yeah. they probably share quite a lot in common. Yeah. I don't know who came up with the term scat, but I think they should have Googled it first, shouldn't they? <laughs> I don't think Google was a thing, mate. <laughs> well, maybe maybe that's how scat, maybe that's how it became known as a derogatory word for shit. <laughs> I'm sure if Google existed, somebody would have never written the words, I'm a scat man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, big time. So where are we now, man? What's this tune? This is uh, Fink Dial by Iron Monkey. Hmm. It's just going back to what you were saying there, like, um, yeah, I'm a, a big metal fan. Um, I kind of grew up on it. It's what I listen to these days and for most of my life, probably more than anything. Iron Monkey were an English metal band from, again, the mid-90s, I want to say. Uh, I guess they were from, I think it was Nottingham, and um, big influences from bands like obviously Sabbath and I Hate God, Orange Goblin, the kind of sludge metal scene. This tune is one that I've always gone back to. I still think it sounds like heavier than most shit that's, that's out these days. And it was 94 or something, I think I first heard it. And I first heard this one on a random um, Kerrang. Remember back in the day, Kerrang would give away these like free CDs and little cardboard envelopes yeah, uh, yeah. With with some of the magazines, like ninety percent of the the tunes on them, like were a bit garbage. But I popped this one on, and I was like, "Fucking hell, what is this?" <laughs> Yeah, you can hear sort of Black Sabbath influence on that, couldn't you? I don't know a huge amount of music theory, but you know the whole descending chords or whatever it is, it's supposed to be very dark and gloomy, isn't it? Yeah, big time. There's quite a lot of bands that 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 use that same kind of um, uh, riff technique, like Electric Wizard or one, um, another um, English doom band um, who do that a lot on the album, uh, what's it called, Dope Throne? Tracks like Funeropolis, it's just this really slow descending chord pattern that kind of just comes back up and then it just goes back down the same thing again and again and again. They're 
super slow. It's a little bit like the bit that's playing just now. Um, it's almost so slow that it starts to make you feel a little bit unwell if you listen to it loud enough. <laughs> you know, you know, Happy Hardcore, right? Someone should make like a thrash metal version of Happy Hardcore. You know, like sing loads of happy songs, <laughs> loads of those. You know, sort of you know the piano chords that they always have. Sort of like you know Russian pianos and hands in the air. Yeah. But with thrash metal, that should be a brilliant genre, wouldn't it? I bet that probably exists, man. If you go into Google and type that in, I've seen a few people doing that. It's like if metal riffs were played in major tonality instead of minor, uh, and they sound fucking hilarious. <laughs> I, I remember there was an interview which I loved once uh, by Ozzy Osbourne, who's been interviewed for this thing, and someone was saying, you know, why you why you put Satanism and all that sort of stuff in your in your lyrics? And he says, well, what are you going to sing about with this sort of music? You know, you're not going to sing about flowers and daisies and what a happy, lovely day it is. It's always going to be, you know, oh, you know, kill this thing or murder or dark skies raining down terror. It goes with the music, right? That's uh, I, I guess it's like. Um, it's a product of its surroundings as well like you know Sabbath and that they were from like working class England it was a pretty brutal time in the like 60s 70s kind of thing I mean it still is now Um, but there's something cathartic about it as well man I don't know non-metal fans that I'm mates with they're like oh does it not make you depressed listening to this kind of music and I'm like nah man it's, um, it's quite the opposite it's like cathartic and it's like weirdly uplifting makes you feel like the opposite makes me feel happy listening to it yeah definitely yeah it's a good release yeah it's and that's why a lot of people say you know a lot of relationship between breakcore and hardcore heavy metal is again it's again a cathartic release of angst or something absolutely i'd agree and i think there's a lot of breakcore artists that have come from the metal scene um, and are still involved in the metal scene. You know, uh, if I think of um, some of the artists that I know that I'm mates with, like uh, Gore-Tec and Stasma, um, sure they've been in metal bands. I think Gore-Tec still is in a metal band called Game. I've heard them recently. But then like Bongra was in a Doom band. Um, but I think the two types of music like share a lot of the same sensibilities, you know? Like hard, aggressive, like it can be hard and aggressive, but it can be fast or slow at the same time and still retain that sense of like kind of power. Yeah. I didn't know Stasmo was in a band. I'm sure he was. Maybe I'm making that up. I've definitely seen him play play bass. I, I, could, I could just be talk, could just be talking shit at this point. <laughs> I could imagine him doing it. Yeah. So you, you've had your one metal tune limit on this one. Uh, I forgot to tell you as well, there's a limit on the amount of square pusher and apex you would have to have uh, in your selection. But, uh, you know, this one is an interesting tune. What's that? This is Ultrasonic Sound by, oh fuck, I've forgotten their name, Hive. This was another one where I heard a style of music that I wouldn't get into for about another 10 plus years. I first heard it on the the Matrix soundtrack of all places, which is a weird one because I don't think this track actually features at any point in the in the Matrix film. I can't think when it when it actually happened, and I've seen that film a hundred times. Um, Maybe it was on the credits or something. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. Um, it was funny actually. That Matrix soundtrack was a weird one, not to go too far off topic, but it had loads of tracks on it that I don't remember being in that film. But anyway. Um, we have an hour and 15 minutes, you can go as off topic as you want. <laughs> We've got the time, man. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I fucking love this track when I heard it purely by chance, like I said, because I, I picked up the, the, the soundtrack for that film. I guess that was at a point when I had no idea what Jungle was, and I still wouldn't for like another 10 years or so. But again, when I did eventually hear Jungle and started to get into it, it was like something snapped and I, it took me back to like 10 years previously. And I was like, shit, that's what that track off the, off the Matrix soundtrack was. That's what this is. It's funny looking back as well and realizing everything's kind of gone full circle. It's like there's a few times listening to music in my life that I've heard like super chopped up amens and been really taken aback by them, but I've never like pieced those those events together. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I've they've always been fairly disparate. Yeah, I think it's pretty interesting. I like this one as a third selection after the heavy metal tune because this is kind of in that halfway house between you know electronic and heavy metal, isn't it? Yeah, totally. And the fact it's got the brakes, the, the, the moody strings, yeah. um, and then the guitars on top. Like, And that's absolutely why I w- was drawn to it at that point in my life, I think, because it was like this, you know, chunky guitar choppage. And then these like, because I really didn't gel with electronic music as a kid at all. Um, actually, I was, of, I was of that kind of like metal sensibility where it was like, oh, if it's made on computers, it's cheating. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Whereas then hearing these beats and they were so complicated, I was like, there's 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 more to it than that. It's not it's obviously not kind of cheating. But it's yeah, it's that crossover of like metal and electronic music, which again I don't really it has to be done really well for it not to sound kind of cheesy. Like I never really like bands like Pitch Shifter or anyone like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. really like Drum Corpse, because he kind of melds, you know, the the, the kind of harder harder aspects of metal and then really well done breakcore. Yeah, I always like it when people record actual instruments rather than using like MIDI guitar sounds. They just always sound so crap like when they sound dreadful yeah there's actually a few um there's a few companies right now that are working on uh, like contact library guitar banks that sound really fucking good good um but i always find the problem with them is once you hear it once you hear it all over the place you know because they, they they're not that mm-hmm. diverse or bendable kind of thing and people usually just find the first preset that they like and everybody tends to like the same the same preset with those things Another thing I find interesting about this tune, actually listening to it, is the... You can't talk over the talking, mate. The way... <laughs> it's a good point. I was about to talk about the talking, though. <laughs> oh, God, no. What are you going to say about the talking? Maybe I should go back. It's about the talking. It's the type of vocal samples that they use. These, like, almost like kind of thought-provoking vocal samples, which was something that I totally gravitated towards quite a lot. And it wasn't until going back and making this list and listening to this tune, I was like, shit, (laughs) never really put the two together, but it's definitely this song that that started off that kind of like interest in that kind of thing, I reckon. Yeah, talking in tunes, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because it's like, sometimes I feel like if there's too much talking, you almost forget what you're listening to, you know? Um, But then sometimes if it's a really class sample, um, I, was, I was watching um, a YouTube video where they'd broken down, you know, Scotty uh, Remox tune, mm-hmm. and they'd actually taken the clips out of The Evil Dead and shown how, you know, where those clips actually came from. And it's like, it's, The Evil Dead, such a class film as well, like, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
something like that is so great. Whereas if you sample some film that nobody knows, then you got what you think is a great sample, but everyone else is like, what the hell is this about, you know? I think it can go both ways really easily. I think there's um, an argument for, for both cases in that if you use a sample that everybody knows and you don't do it well, you fucked it. But if you use a sample that people aren't aware of and you do it tastefully, it adds this area of like mystery to it. It's like, where did that come from? Where did it get that? Yeah. Like if you were making a jungle tune and you're thinking, oh, what this tune needs is, is a movie sample. I know. Uh, I'll take that one from, um, oh, what's it called again? Uh, Human Traffic. Yeah, yeah, I'll take that one. You know the bit where the guy goes, oh, this could turn Ari Krishna into a bad boy. I tell you, if anybody makes a jungle tune and uses that sample, yeah. unless it's like the world's greatest piece of jungle, they can go get fucked. Yeah, you've got to be really careful with it. There's like an art form in finding um, vocal samples that people haven't already used as well. It's like, uh, I, I've heard so many tracks where people just sample um, the Samuel L. Jackson uh, monologue uh, from Pulp Fiction. Mm. You know, Ezekiel 2517 or, or whatever it is. Um, yeah. But what I really like is when I hear like a, it's usually like a horror movie vocal sample or something like that that I haven't heard before if I haven't seen the film and it's done well and it elevates the vibe of the track. Um, at that point I'm like this sounds really cool but if you just drop a vocal sample in for the sake of having a vocal sample because you know you think it needs it or for the sake of just having it in there I think at that point it loses that impact yeah but then sometimes I think I listen to a track and it just I don't know it just needs that bit extra you know definitely that you can set up the whole vibe of a track with a vocal sample at the beginning of it I reckon What's this now? This is this is a, an unusual choice of tune. <laughs> this is, uh, despite you earlier saying that you only get one metal tune per thingy, I've, uh, I've snuck a second one in, man. Is this metal? I mean, so it's the Deftones. It's knife part of the Deftones. The Deftones have been my favourite band since I was, uh, I guess, again, 11 maybe, uh, and still are. To this is like student rock. This is like if you're a 90s student. <laughs> It's, um, don't you talk a lot of Deftones, man, come on. <laughs> they, they, they were, um, what was it, they kind of rose to fame at a point where the term new metal was getting thrown around quite a lot. And I've always been kind of like hesitant to throw them into the same bucket as the rest of the new metal bands. They have all the hallmarks of new metal in that they had like a synth player, uh, a guy that did like synths and um, uh, like scratching and stuff like that called Frank Delago. But it was always done quite tastefully. It wasn't like Limp Bizkit or what were they called, Spine Shank levels of kind of uh, cringy scratching halfway through for, for the sake of it. Um, it's a band I've always loved, man. Um, I'm just going to leave it there. <laughs> just let it play. Sounds like your woman's stepped on a bit of Lego. So, about that, yeah. This, for the longest time, I thought this was the, the main singer doing that bit, the lead singer, Chino Moreno. And then it wasn't until I saw a YouTube video just like a few years ago, and then a woman walks on stage halfway through and joins them and does that part. Because he's got a mental vocal range, but I was, I should have realized that it probably wasn't that far. <laughs> oh, you thought this was the guy singing? That guy doing the screaming. Yeah, I thought that. I thought this. Ah. 
I thought the falsetto slash screaming kind of bit was uh, was the lead singer, but I've been informed it's not. <laughs> I don't. Know, I think. I think I could probably, as a man, reach that level of screaming. That you know, Friends, the TV show. Apparently, they're going to make a new episode of that for 2021. I think I screamed that loud. Why? Exactly. I oh, just leave that shit in the past, man. Come on. Exactly. It's like, oh my god. It, what is interesting about that is that Friends was a weird example of TV where it went on for what 10 years, and in those 10 years, instead of looking older. Everybody, everybody looked younger, and their, their haircuts got better, and their their skin got smoother looking and shit. So, I wonder what they look like now, because that that went off air like what, 10, 15 years ago or something, maybe longer. I don't know. I was never a fan, really. Never a fan of it myself, but there you go. Yep. This is an interesting tune. I never heard this before. What is it? This is a wicked tune, man. This is uh, um, Birds of Prey by a Scottish uh, producer called uh, Architect. Um, he's a Scottish chap called uh, Sam Anand, who I met super early on in when I was kind of getting into making music with computers, and he'd already been doing it for quite a few years. Um, so he was kind of quite a big influence on me for a bunch of reasons. Uh, firstly, or mainly, I guess, because we found a kind of common musical interest in Warp Records, and like more kind of like left field electronic stuff, where I only knew a couple other people. And uh, one of the other ones was a, a dude called Levin that I went to college with, who actually kind of got me into a lot of this in the first place. But um, Sam was someone that I really badgered for advice, and he taught me a lot about production when I was kind of first getting into it. And I think at one point I even had like a near carbon copy of his production setup, like speakers and I got the same audio interface as him for a while um, because before that I'd just been using my, my laptop's internal sound card and a, a really shitty set of Technics headphones, which I still actually own to this day, thinking about it. Um, but yeah, I, I fucking love this track. It's um, It's got this mad, like, dubbed-out jungle feel, these, like, really cool kind of staticky sounding um, analog synths, um, and it's it wouldn't be out of place if it was to be released today with all the kind of, like, half-time, off-kilter stuff that's coming out right now. Yeah, as you say, it's got so much going on. It's great. Like you say, that dub sort of sound, yeah. uh, but it breaks. I mean, they've had birds singing. I mean... What's not to like about this tune? Like, so much creativity in it. Yeah, it's super progressive as well. It's funny because it goes on for, I think it's about six minutes long, but it just, it never gets boring. It doesn't sit on that typical, um, you know, intro drop, breakdown drop or, or verse chorus, verse chorus kind of thing. It, it just, it flows and it keeps moving, goes in different directions. It returns to the main theme repeatedly, uses it almost like a kind of melody hock it kind of thing. Um, it's got a little bit of jungle breaks, like you're saying, um, some cut-ups, some really cool DSP with like kind of time stretching and shit towards the end. Um, the drumming as well was uh, uh, all recorded live. Um, it was a oh, fuck, I can't remember his name now. Scotty, it's like he's some human drumming machine from from Dundee that I met a couple times. If you ever get the chance, or if you get the chance, if you have the time, check this video's uh, the song's music video out on on YouTube. It's super cool. It's just them performing it in the uh, in a studio live.
Yeah, all the sounds in this are just so gorgeous to listen to, aren't they? So tastefully yeah. done. It was funny as well because, like, when when we first started chatting, he was he was already like super deep into the um, into the analog synth um, fanboy kind of thing. Like, you really nerded out with that, and um, I mean, it pays off. You listen to this stuff; it sounds so so crisp and clean. It's just so tastefully done, man. It's lovely. So tell me, like, I know there must be a, a reason for it because there's obviously a huge market for it. But off-board sound cards, I don't know if I would go to the expense of buying a sound card separate to my computer from a laptop like. And obviously you must notice the difference and there must be a reason for it because otherwise, you know, <laughs> if it was snake oil and there was no difference, then people would be like, why would I bother? Yeah, I mean, I, for the longest time, like I was saying there, I used just the, the onboard sound card from my from my, my laptop, from my Mac, and it was fine, but they have core audio, which processes it and deals with latency in, in a much different way um, compared to, to Windows, which uses ASIO. Um, I think the, the, the primary draw for uh, an outboard sound card is um, uh, plugging in gear, recording gear. You know, you've got like, um, on most of them now, you have like at least one or two inputs, which could be either DI or uh, a kind of mic instrument one with a, for a fairly inexpensive price, you, you can get some pretty decent preamps on them now as well. So you can have um, what would have been, you know, recording studio level quality recording 15 years ago, just in your in your bedroom. That's I think that's the primary draw for it, man. That's what I use it for mostly, for plugging in guitar and stuff. Ah, oh, perfect. Yeah. So, like in terms of audio output, do you really notice a significant difference? Hard to say, to be honest with you. It's been so long since I've I've not used an audio interface. I couldn't tell you. Yeah. Right. I don't know. I, I mean, it's been 15, 10, 15 years, I think, that I've been using an interface now. So um, one thing I will say is that I, whenever I play live, whenever I play live, I've just been running a headphone out from my laptop into, into the desk. And occasionally people will say, you know, it's coming a little bit quiet, but then, you know, you just gain it up on the desk. So, yeah. Imagine, imagine, imagine. We're beginning, We're beginning a journey, 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 journey. Not, not in time, time but in your mind. mind. As we start, As we from, start the top, from the top, top, top to go to the go very, to very bottom. bottom. One of the things that infuriates me, I don't know how you feel about this, but you know when you discover amazing music, but it was like from five or ten years ago and you could well have gone and seen those people performing that music five or ten years ago and now they stopped doing it or whatever it's like that's how i feel about some of this stuff this box color tune again is another amazing piece of work isn't it totally that's that's something that uh, i feel quite a lot of the time and it's I get a little bit sad sometimes when I think about the fact that I'll never see like um, like Led Zeppelin play live or things like that. Oh god, well now you're really going into <laughs> territory, instant territory there, like you know. I mean, I I've been a guitarist for over 20 years, I think, at this point, or coming up on that maybe. So guitar oriented in bands like that have always been a kind of big thing for me as well. Um, they don't really make it into this list so much because I'm kind of leaning into, these tracks are leaning in a chronological order into what influenced me the most as I was getting into production and for my first few years of production kind of thing. I had to try and limit it to a certain time frame because 15 tracks was the hardest list I've ever had to compose, I think. It was a yeah. nightmare, <laughs> but we got there. But yeah, um, 
I, I I was aware of Box Cutter when he was when he was actually releasing these these albums, but I just never had the opportunity to see him play. Um, I, I'm not really aware of ever having seen him on a flyer either, actually, at any of the parties that I've been to. But um, I could just be wrong. Played, but I think he's an Irish think he producer. Bankface a while back, like a few years back. And that's what I'm talking about. Is that he would have been on that flyer, and I'd have been. Oh, I never heard of the guy. I wouldn't have paid much attention to it, you know. Don't say that because it's a good chance I was at that bank phase. <laughs> that, that'd be sad if I'd missed that. Um, but I think he's an Irish producer. I think he's quite underrated because a, a lot of people that I play this to, they've never heard of him. Um, I think most of his output has been through um, through Planet Moo. And um, uh, interestingly, the chat this tune we just listened to, Architect, was the one that uh, originally introduced me to this to this uh, album, um, or the album before it, actually, sorry, to this artist, when we were making Tune House in Dundee one day. I think at the time Boxcar was still quite young, I think he was like in his early 20s, but he had this like mad developed sound, this super dubbed out kind of like jungly kind of sound that just seemed too developed for someone that was that age at that time. Um, each one of his albums seems to move away from the last musically in terms of the kind of sonic uh, territory that it covers. Um, uh, I think that's really cool. I really like that when, when artists just dive into an entirely different thing rather than sticking on what seems to have worked and been successful. Um, yeah, Boxcutter is from Northern Ireland and he played Bankface Weekend of 2015. There you go. Fuck, I was definitely there. <laughs> same, same. <laughs> I think that was the year that we played the Bean Jeff and Stasma and Crumble and all that and Monster X played the, the second room. I can't remember now, it seems like so long ago. It was a while ago, it was five years ago. Yeah, it all blurs into one. Yeah. Did you go this year? No, I didn't. No, no. Uh, um, I, I kind of... I, I actually said that I wasn't going to really go to any parties at all this year because the, the Baby Shaker tour, the farewell tour that we did for that last year. <laughs> that was so funny. Like, I'm giving this thing up and it's like gig after gig after gig. Totally. I know. It was funny as well, man, because I, I, um, I hadn't really done anything live in a couple of years. And that was kind of why I was like, I think I'll kind of wind this down now. Like, maybe there's no interest for it anymore. And as soon as I posted that up, it was like, <laughs> just invite after invite. Like, did Bangface, Balter, uh, we flew out to Israel and played there. Um, uh, Birmingham, like, just all over the UK. It was fucking class. Really cool. I think I'm going to retire. <laughs> <laughs> That'll get you bricked, man. That's yeah, get some buckets in. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, wait, what was I saying? I think I kind of went off topic there. Why you didn't go to Bangface this year? Oh, yeah, no, sorry. That was exactly the reason, because of the amount of gigs that we did last year. It was just... Um, Needed a break. Quite a lot, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it's cool. And the main reason that I love Bangface and, and those kind of festivals and parties is because I get to see friends of mine that I made in this music scene through Baby Shaker um, that I'd never get to see otherwise. Um, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because everybody lives in such disparate parts of the, either country or the world. In fact. 100%. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of my favourite things about it, the way it kind of just brings everybody together. And everybody's so fucking nice. 
Erland cut his um, ponytails or his uh, dreadlocks off. He was going around with short hair going, you probably don't recognise me, do you? And I'm like, who's this guy? <laughs> it blew my mind when I seen that man, because I'd known him for f- like 10 years plus with, with dreadlocks, you know? Um, yeah. And he, he just rocked up and I was like, whoa. But the short hair suited him really well, so, yeah. you know, paid off. Yeah. Wisp, another one, they would have played Bangface as well. I can't say, I, I, a Wisp is a bit like, I don't know, some some like atmospheric music I find, it's just like they just hit an instrument and then put a load of reverb on it and go, there you go, there's your track, you know? Uh, I, I, I know what you mean, I do know what you mean. Um, yeah, um, what is this track called again? I've completely forgotten, Nijin's Fail, it's from the... Nietzsche's Fail, I think that's what it's called. It's from an album he put out on Sublight Records called North Ender, or Northender. It's like all kind of shortened down, or they've removed letters from it, I guess. On Sublight Records, which is now defunct, rest in peace, which was is a real shame. Um, I mean, it, it died years ago. I think it was 2007 or 2008 that it went out. But um, it was part of that era of like smaller labels who put out some of the, actually still to this day for me, some of the most interesting and, and coolest electronic music that, I, that I've heard. Like... Uh, I bet Richard Devine was on there, Flashbulb, Inducer, Ebola, uh, Fanny, Sintamesk, uh, Vorpal, Detachi, Gareth Clark. I don't know if I said that one already. She's been a big favourite for a long time. Yeah, it's mad. Like, I, I probably can't think of another label that's got that many artists on it in one place that have been that interesting to me in one go. <laughs> Warp. I would have thought Warp would have been more your bag. Not really, man. Honestly, like, um, there's a few things on Warp that I that I kind of like, but I mean, Planet Mew. W- yeah, pla- I was always a bigger fan of like Planet Mew and Ninja Tune and stuff more so than Warp. But I mean, Warp had like Aphex Twin, Autechre, and and uh, the Square Pusher, obviously. But admittedly, I'm, I've never been like the biggest Aphex Twin fan. And outside of those three. At the, at the time that I kind of got into that kind of music, it was there was a lot of um, like weird bands and stuff like that that were on there, like Maximal Park and I think they're called Grizzly Bear and Battles and stuff. And you know they're they're fine as far as I'm concerned, but it never really drew me in that much. I'm trying to remember who else was on Warp at that time, like Mira Calix, um, Vincent Gallo as well. He was someone I always really liked. I think he was a filmmaker that got into kind of making music and somehow ended up on Warp. And his stuff was always really cool. Like that track, Honey Bunny, it's just got him singing in this really creepy high-pitched voice all the way through it, really cool. But going back to this tune, yeah, I know what you mean about that kind of ambient spacey kind of thing but I think Wisp actually does it really tastefully in a way that that's always kind of like interested me and this whole album he uses it now and again kind of thing actually uses it repeatedly if I'm honest but it helps build up this kind of like constant sense of like don't know what you want to call it like melancholic dread go 
back to what we were talking about before as well, actually. He uses these little snippets and vocal samples from like news reports and TV uh, interviews, this kind of thing, so that you you know you wouldn't have heard them before in films or whatever. They kind of come out of nowhere, but they, they build up your between the synths, the sounds, the samples, that kind of thing, and the way that the album progresses of this like longing to get out of your surroundings. And I know that he's from Niagara Falls, and I've been to Niagara Falls, and I can tell why he wanted to get out. It's just a depressing place, man. Me and Jeff drove through there because it, it's it's right on the cusp of American-Canadian border, obviously, because there's a, a bridge over into Toronto from Niagara Falls and Niagara and Buffalo, basically, like intersect one another. That's where Jeff's from. So we, we drove to the, the falls a couple times and we went for a drive round Niagara and Jeff was like, look, where are the people? And it's a big place, you know, it's like a, there's a lot there, but there's just nobody out and about. Um, it's just a, it's quite a weird, weird vibe of a place. I don't really know enough about Niagara Falls to, to know why it's a depressing place or why he wants out, but that's the, the underlying like feeling that I always get from listening to this album. Such a good album. Northender, or Northender, I don't know how you say it. interesting you, you can't not listen to this sort of stuff you know what i mean it's like hyper attention grabbing it is it does this weird thing to my eyes when music gets really complex and and all over the place like this and when it's using weird weird kind of time signatures something happens to my eyes where i kind of keep looking around as as if i'm trying to focus on the ground beat or the kind of the ground pulse to it but i can't really find it very easily a lot of the time yeah it's quite disconnecting from a harmonious reality almost you know Absolutely. I, I fucking love this track. I really struggled to pick my favourite Squarepusher tune. Squarepusher is one of those, like, for me is, in his words, he's the fucking daddy, you know? It's, um, he's one of these, one of these folk that I just find super influential and kind of quite inspiring when it comes to making music because he's, uh, you know, I'm a very talented multi-instrumentalist. He's a very talented composer, a very talented producer, but going going that step further as well you know he's he's a very talented like um kind of software writer devises a lot of his own instruments um effects and devices inside software environments like reactor for example he built a program that you that controls his uh his live light shows as well in reactor as well so i always think that's interesting when you've got someone that's you know a really well-rounded musician a kind of composer and that but they also take it that step further I don't think I'd have the courage to go on stage and hit run on software I wrote myself. 
Oh man, um, between Square Pusher and another track that we have coming later on by Tim Exile, I got really into uh, building my own stuff in Reactor. Um, and so I, usually I would make like a lot of kind of like live devices, like um, samplers and weird ways to, to re-record incoming sounds from Ableton into it, capture it, resequence it, mangle it kind of thing. So you'd have like a kind of live, uh, almost like improvisational tool that you could kind of fuck your tunes up with. And the amount of times that it would break live on stage started to started to take the piss a little bit um, but I kind of liked that as well there was something kind of like rough and ready about it like if it's gonna happen it's gonna happen live especially now in a, in a kind of what's the word a live music landscape where, where people are I'm trying to think how to phrase this without sounding like an asshole there is quite a lot of pressing play going on you know yeah does that make sense? Um, yeah. And admittedly, even what, what I was doing as Baby Shaker was still pressing play and then just pressing a lot of buttons after play. But I always, I always kind of quite like that live aspect, like, you know, something something could go badly wrong. And it regularly did, actually. There was a night that I was meant to play in Glasgow called Pie-Eyed, where I'd spent um, months writing this full live uh, live patch where everything was going to be done out of Reactor. And uh, it was working just fine for like a couple of weeks beforehand once I got it finished. And as soon as I set my laptop up and tried to get it going 10 minutes before I was meant to play, the fucker just would not output sound <laughs> oh, we've all been there haven't we just like oh absolutely why now why now you've been working fine for the last 10 hours totally do you want to install this windows update no i do not want to install this windows update man the windows 10 updates as well the force you to restart and stuff as well it's brutal you're trying to work away on something and it's like i'll be back in an hour So you work in the games industry, you do audio for that, right? I do, yeah. I am uh, like an audio designer, I guess is the term, um, creating um, original bits of sound design, writing music, uh, doing like VO, editing, uh, recording, just kind of everything, engine implementation for the, for the sounds, the, the whole shebang. That sounds interesting. So, like, would this be for like games where, you know, the sound in the game, the environmental sound, as you say, um, how that changes depending on where you are in the game or what you're doing, that sort of stuff, right? Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely, everything. So, I mean, we create all the... I'm going to be very careful here and because I don't want to break any any NDAs or whatever, so I'll just be... just going to speak at a very high level kind of thing. NDAs, yeah. It's creating the sounds that are in the game, essentially. And so, like, level sounds, character sounds, I don't know, things like um, like weapons recording like character speech that kind of thing mm. and hooking them into the game and controlling the way uh, the best way to describe it is controlling the way that the player hears it so you can set up how the player would hear it at different uh, distances for example you know you can, you yeah. can do things with, like volume and filtering kind of thing that, that give the, the kind of audible illusion that, that somebody is either further away or, or closer up or they are at a certain uh, rotation to you kind of thing um, mm. or if they're behind you you know how to control the, the music in a level for example, based on the the way that you're interacting with different elements inside the level, whether that be characters or the location that you are, kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's super.
super interesting job. It's no days, no two days are the same, <laughs> or haven't been so far at least. And are you writing code, or are you messing with parameters, or messing with the door, or what? No, we're using um, uh, audio engines that uh, avoid us. Ever. Uh, we don't need to. I, do, I don't need to write code in my job, which is good because I am I am not a coder by any stretch of the imagination. I could probably whip you off a tasty hello world, but that's about it. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. I'm sure it's very interesting and very rewarding. I think uh, it's the old adage, you can turn your hobby into a job, you never work a day in your life. Absolutely, man. It's been... Yeah, I mean, yeah, I won't lie, it's been like a dream of mine to do this for, for quite a long time. Um, you know, I've been a, a massive gamer since I was, again, very weak kind of thing. And I'd say it's the sort of thing as well that when it's done right, you don't notice it. But you probably listen to someone else's game and go, oh, this is crap, or that's good, or that's well done, you know. Whereas for me, an average punter, I just put the disc in, press play, and it's like, ah, yeah. I forget about all the engineering that went into it. I think you hit the nail on the head. Exactly, when you said you don't notice it if it's done well kind of thing. It's one of those like environmental enhancers. Um, if it's if it's done badly, it'll, it'll stick out like a sore thumb kind of thing. But if it's done well, it just it helps you get immersed in the experience, really, right? Yep, yep. So I think I successfully managed to talk all the way through Venetian Snares. So, uh... I think you did that on purpose, because I... <laughs> Because I know that you're not a big fan of Venetian snares, eh? <laughs> <laughs> it's all right, no, I don't, I don't need getting into grief with people, but uh, I don't know, what is this? It's like, oh, I don't know, it's just noise. This is more like it, there you go, look, you redeemed yourself, here. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> We're on to the next track. <laughs> Let's just skip real for it, man. I don't know, I think it's an interesting one to talk about, Brilliant. you know, music which is like, yeah, 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 let's get into this and dance and party and what have you, versus artistic stuff, which, you know, fair play, and there's a, there's a place for that in the world as well, um, you know. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But just sometimes I feel like it's art for the sake of art. You know, it's like the person that cut the cow in half and put it in formaldehyde. It's like, oh, that's very <laughs> clever. Oh, nobody thought of that. Yeah, great. But it's like, after about 30 seconds, I've lost interest. And sometimes, you know, I get into the art for the sake of it. Sort of music, definitely, yeah. Just sometimes I feel like people take it a little bit too far. And maybe that's a good thing through exploring a boundary. I don't know. I know exactly what you mean. Um, but I think there is a time and a place for these two different schools of, of music or two different types of music I suppose like the last track that you um, managed to completely body swear very well was um, it's it's one of those it's more artsy than dance floor kind of thing and this one is maybe a combination of the two but this one probably suits the dance floor a lot more uh, this is flashball bind dump by the way whereas I would be perfectly happy hearing this on the dance floor if I was a bang face if I heard the previous tune I think it's a bit of a mood killer right you wouldn't you wouldn't really be able to dance away and have a good time to something in, I think it's an 11-8 time signature. Um, mm. But I would quite happily sit and listen to this one at home. That's like the last one at home. Um, for that for that very reason, I guess, it's it's more like a kind of sit down and kind of like drink it in. As I had that last tune on in my car for so long that my mate eventually threw the CD out of the window while we were driving one day. Because <laughs> he was so sick of hearing it. Um, whereas this one kind of like dances between the two, between the kind of like, it's got that artistic flair and it, it satisfies a lot of um, like desires for listening to uh, uh, kind of like um, almost like emotionally evocative music for want of a, a less shitty term but it also yeah. fucking rinses out the amens as well yeah now we're going back to snares and square pusher i think for sunday night bank race when it's gone beyond midnight 
it's like mm-hmm. the last or last but one act of the weekend and you're absolutely wrecked it's like yeah sit at the back eat some fruit um and uh yeah just enjoy it and sit down and enjoy it for the music rather than you know having it large on a thursday or a friday you know okay yeah, uh, but at the same time, I, I don't want to listen to Venetia snares on a Sunday at Backface. I want to listen to just calming pillow noise. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe <laughs> just just a a C1 sine wave on a loop. <laughs> yeah, I love this sort of stuff where it's like what you call brain dance, which comes brain dance, where it's just like you can't keep up with it. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know. To be honest with you, I'm uh, notoriously shit with um, genre names. I, I write tunes and then I have to send them to my friends and ask what what genre I've made. Um, a lot of yeah. the time, I actually just did that yesterday. Um, uh, yeah, I guess maybe like it kind of falls into that that kind of brain dancey kind of thing. I just I, I don't know. I try not to get bogged down with that with that shit too much. I think it can be very limiting. Um, well, I think genres are just description words, right? They are. If you make a cake, you make a cake and it's got chocolate in it, and I go, oh, that's a chocolate cake. You wouldn't say to me, oh, don't don't try and pigeonhole my cake making. It's like, where's the cake? It's got chocolate in it, you know? But if you make two chocolate cakes and you put a tiny amount of something different in another one, you're not going to call the other one something different, are you? Right. But if someone says, I hate chocolate, oh, well, that's not the cake for you then. So it's just an easy description of something rather than a, a pigeonhole of steel it's like once you're in that genre that's it yeah but then i guess thing i hate amen breaks there's so many tracks that use amen breaks in so many different ways like nwa used them square pusher uses them this guy uses them up to a thousand beats a minute whatever it is so rewind you say you don't like amen breaks hey what (laughs) i never said that yes exactly yeah oh okay 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 hey i i I made a, a, a pretty long-standing project over just using that one fucking drum set <laughs> for the longest time. Yeah. I love an amen. Um, I think I like amens, just bending amens more than I like any of the styles of music that they're in, to be honest with you. Mm. Really, speaking of amens, we're on to Big Bad Purple Bad Boy. I think this is called by Tim XL. There's quite a lot of Planet Moo on this, on this list, but like I said, it was... Um, I've been a big Planet Moo fan for a long time. Um, I think this comes off the Proagonist album. Uh, and it, again, it was like mid-2000s, 2006 or something like that. And this is one of these ones where I guess it kind of blurs the lines of what we were chatting about a second ago, where it's like a proper dance floor rinse out number, but it starts to get into really, really bizarre DSP territory that you could argue isn't really suitable for the dance floor, but he manages to blend the two uh, pretty, pretty damn effortlessly. If you could go back in time and see one band performing live anytime, who would it be? Oh, dude. I think because you said Zeppelin, like, I mean, seeing Zeppelin live would have been fucking amazing, right? Actually, no, it's The Doors. Oh, man, that was a close second for me as well, yeah. The Doors. Yeah, I, I'm a big Zeppelin fan, but I was a much bigger Doors fan, like a really big fan of like, Robbie Krieger's uh, playing. I never heard of The Doors at all. Then that film came out years and years ago, right? With Val Kilmer. Yeah, and, and that film came out, and I like, I heard, and I'm like, oh my god! It was like, and I, I bought every album by The Doors, literally just everything by The Doors, and I was like, oh my god, everything by The Doors, I love it all. And it's amazing how sometimes in the mainstream you miss so much and then you just hit that vein of like, wow, 
The thing that surprised me about music a lot of the time is when I was, you know, quite young, I guess maybe like 13 or 14, and I would keep finding these bands like The Doors or Zeppelin or Bob Marley, or, you know, to a lesser extent Bob Marley, I guess. But, and I'd just be like, wow, they have this massive catalogue of music. How have I gone 15 years with never hearing any any of it kind of thing sabbath as well i didn't get into sabbath until i was like 14 no later than that maybe like 16 or 17. i just never heard of them you know i grew up mostly without the internet or without good internet didn't have a lot of kind of tools for for sharing music other than being lent a cd by your palace go kind of thing so you could go these like you could go a long time without having ever heard of somebody that one day in the future you might hit it and go oh my god how have i lived all my life and not heard this music i think that still happens to me these days uh, my mate jordan showed me this guy the other day called sab sabroy sabroy I, I don't know how you pronounce it s-a-b-r-o-i i think it is um, and it's this uh electronic like super glitched out glitch music i guess you call it i don't know hyper glitch i think is the term now not a fan of that either he's got loads of stuff out this on his soundcloud he's been going for quite a while and i'm like fuck how has i know lots of people that listen to this type of music but nobody has ever pointed this one out to me kind of thing sitting there just waiting for you to discover it man i think that's one of the really fucking cool things about music you will go your whole life and you will still miss swathes of interesting music Like right now I'm, I'm writing a lot of drum and bass as block data, but I've got no idea what drum and bass right now sounds like a lot of the time. Uh, a track I just put out the other day on uh, on Triple G, it's at 180 beats a minute, it's like halftime kind of thing, but it's using like big fat kind of weird pang snares. Um, so it sounds like dubstep, but it's too slow, but it's at 180 beats a minute. <laughs> You could argue that I just don't have a clue what I'm doing, right? That's a good thing. That's a good thing. I think I think not listening to other people's music and then making your own. Obviously, you're going to come up with something unique. Whereas I think people that just constantly listen to other people's music and then go, right, I'm going to make something that sounds like artist A and artist B. Well, yeah. I think that's really dangerous. It's like, oh, I'll try and make a track that sounds like this one. And it's like, oh, cool. So you've made a carbon copy of someone else's track. And that's actually a really good learning experience. It's a really good way to develop production techniques, that kind of thing. And I'm all for it. I've, I've definitely done it in the past. But um, I definitely lean towards music that strikes me as being, oh, that sounds really stupid, more original or more a product of the melting pot of the other types of the other artists around them at the time. There's a really good quote in the Notes on Breakcore documentary, and I think it's Devnall, and he said, I can't remember what the quote is actually now, but he, he, he talks about the fact that for a long time in, in most music scenes and in, in most styles, there'll be a lot of the same stuff bouncing off each other, and then there'll be someone that just kind of like or like pops out through all of these, all of these different artists and does, does something really original, really kind of like different sounding uh, within that vein. And I think that's I always find that really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's funny that actually speaking of Devnall, and then Xenoptigon comes on. I, I was gonna pick either Devnall, big boring bass, or Xenoptigon, ungrocked or ungrocket. I don't know how you pronounce that word. It's not even a word, I suppose. Yeah, I think this came out in, again, like mid 2000s. It must have been, because that's when I was just starting to get into, in my first few years of getting into making tunes. And um, I think it was Hyman or Zark, the label. Again, I can't remember. Um, but 
this to me was like one of the first tunes I'd heard and uh, the sound design like really grabbed me kind of thing and each individual little sliver and slice in this just sounds so clean and razor sharp and like so well put together um, that it just kind of it does like exactly what we were talking about before where it's like you you just kind of get drawn into listening to it with the, this kind of square pressure one I really like this kind of organized chaos this this idea of like there's so many sounds going on at one point and it sounds like it's an odd meter like in a different time signature or an odd time signature but this track is entirely 4-4 as far as I'm aware um, but it sounds all over the place. It's this kind of idea of like organized chaos that I, I think is really fucking cool. And one other thing I really like about this tune is that it, it, it um, fuck, what's the word? How am I trying to describe this? It was one of the first tracks I'd heard that, that kind of taught me that um, aggressive and uh, powerful sounds don't need to be just like blanched in distortion. You know, you can have punchy, aggressive sounds, but it can be clean, super clean. I really like that about Xenopticon a lot of the time. Another track, another person that does that a lot of the time actually is um, uh, Dr. Bastardo. Like his amens are always super clean. They're never blown out into squares with distortion kind of thing. Super clean, but, like, well processed, but just like punchy. They sound, they sound aggressive as fuck, but they're not super distorted. That's just a name I haven't heard in a while, Dr. Bastardo. I think has he been doing anything recently? Or I've just been missing it. I can't believe I didn't include Dr. Bastardo on this list. He's like one of my, if not my favorite breakcore uh, producer. That Cocaine Babylon EP on Peace Off is ma a masterpiece, like so good. You can totally hear that in a lot of my baby shaker tunes. <laughs> Big time, love it. When you were compiling this list, what was your uh, how, what was your razor for saying this is in, this is out? Like, what was your thinking behind compiling the list? So, I mean, like initially, I guess you'd said 15 tunes, right? So, what I tried to do was pick the songs that, to me, eventually became the more influential ones in my production uh, techniques, or, or not techniques, sorry. In, and what got me into making electronic music, I suppose. And I've listed it chronologically as well. I've tried to list it in the order that I would have heard them. And I think I've done it right. But like I said before, um, dates and stuff like that and years that I heard stuff, I've, I'm kind of guessing at this point. I have a rough idea. Um, but I didn't realize until the whole list was complete that all of this stops at like 2010 or 11, maybe. Um, so there must be something to that that I've done that subconsciously because there's a the whole there's a whole other hundred other tunes since then that would have been that have been equally as influential in what I'm making now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I think these are the ones that were real earworms for me, as and when I'd heard them. Like I just couldn't turn them off. I used to I used to like burn um, burn CDs. Remember back in the day burning CDs. Mm -hmm, yeah. And I would just put the same tune on uh, as many times as I could until it would fill up the, the information space on the CD so that I didn't need to either hit the repeat button or put, hit the back button so I could just listen to it on repeat without any messing around. And I did that with a lot of these tunes. And interesting idea. So that's like for when you're in the car and you just want to listen to a tune over and over and over and over and over again? That, that seems a bit... Yeah. 
I know. That's why that CD got thrown out the window. <laughs> oh man. So you don't listen to you don't listen to mainstream music or anything like that, or what's commercial or nothing, no? What do you mean by mainstream, though? Skrillex. Skrillex is about. <laughs> I mean, this is this is Skrillex. Yeah, totally. What I was gonna say, yeah. I feel like I'm gonna get some stick for this one, but early early Skrillex is like one of my most guilty musical pleasures. Like, I fucking love it, man. Still to this day, I think it sounds, think it sounds heavy. Think it sounds fucking cool. Um, I don't like really most of his music. Um, after he put out two EPs or two albums, I can't remember. Uh, sorry, two EPs. I can't remember when they were. Uh, nice Brights and Scary Monsters and something else and he did work with like these guys Foreign Beggars the MCs on here one of them who died recently apparently um, rest in peace that's a shame they were fucking cool they did really cool stuff on Noisy as well like Contact love that tune I just love how unabashed like unabashed and how unashamed it's like it's it's just up it's in your face and this tune specifically reminds me of metal it's got this like metal riff feel to it everything feels like a metal riff and halfway through it it even has a breakdown like a metal tune where it slows right down and it goes into what sounds like a uh, like a machine head burn your eyes breakdown kind of thing I've been to see him a few times live and it's just like a it's just like a sound I just, I just love it man <laughs> it's fucking glass yeah, I've never thought of listening to it uh, with that sort of mindset of thinking of it as if it was metal music and that sort of flow. That last bit there certainly would match that, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this tune to me sounds almost like someone has programmed MIDI guitar, like a metal MIDI guitar tune, like we were talking about before with MIDI guitar. Um, mm. I, again, like Skrillex as well, I think he gets a lot of flack because he went really pop really quick um, when he started getting famous, but he's got a bunch of like really heavy old tunes with some really cool fucking sounds in them. Um, really like some of the some of the early bass sound design. A lot of it. A lot of the other artists around about the same time, their music has not aged well, where I feel like his has. This tune must be 10 years old, like at least, I think. I think, I'm not sure. Um, whereas a lot of the other artists' stuff hasn't. Um, there's something about Skrillex I really like, because it was when YouTube was starting to pop off, you know, and he'd be like sampling stuff off of YouTube that everybody was memeing on at the time. Um, I kind of quite like that. Um, and it's heavy, but it's not its not that way of trying to write something, not trying to write the heaviest track possible. Because I feel like those those are the tracks that never age well. When someone tries to write something, I'm going to write the heaviest tune I possibly can. In five years' time, it sounds a bit funny to listen to it. They sound, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It doesn't age well. Um, whereas I feel like, like this track has. I tell this sort of bro step sound, I can't hear these sort of wah, wah, wah sounds, and yeah. then the sort of stuff, it's just like, ah. Oh. Totally. Like I said, I, I reckon I'll get some stick for it, including this one. But um, ah, man, I mean, it's, it's subjective, isn't it? everything subjective? There's no right and wrong when it comes to music. It's my list, man. <laughs> yeah, fuck off, yeah, like yeah. yeah, I want to play what I want to play. Yeah, totally. Big time, yeah. Yeah. One of the few MCs or MC groups I can I can deal with as well, uh, the Foreign Beggars. They did a lot of stuff with like um, with Noisy as well, and usually when I hear MCs over drum and bass, I just think, shut up, can't stand it. But um, these guys, they just got a good flow, nice rhythmical pacing, and it's not the usual MC chat.
love to give a little shout out to the labels that have supported me this year um that have released my music so in in kind of release order i guess ohm resistance big ups therapy sessions big ups uh triple g recordings big ups yeah love these guys all amazing and more to come next year excellent awesome Just so long as you don't cassette boy me, it's fine. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> no, I think I did all right on the last one, didn't I? It was all right. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. If I could just stand listening to the sound of my own voice, that would be fine. Man, I love the sound of my own voice. <laughs> it's funny that it, 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 it's a weird one that none of us sound like we think we do. Uh, I, it still blows my mind whenever I hear my voice, and I've heard it recorded loads of times, you know? Yeah, I think for me, when I when I hear my own voice, like, I don't like the actual sound of my own voice. I feel like I'm too high-pitched. That irritates the life out of me. I feel like I'm a squeaky teenager up here like this. That's how it sounds to me. Whereas I love, uh, you know, I listen to a lot of people's voices, and uh, I think Jason Statham has the greatest voice of all people. He's got a cool voice, man. Yeah, why not? Samuel L. Jackson, obviously, great voice, you know. Nice people. I wish my, I wish my voice was down here and, and really sort of deep down here. Yeah, I wish it was down here. You know, that'd be really good. Men, men with a, a good deep gravelly voice, kind of thing. Yeah. One thing about working in games and doing uh, uh, recording voices is you hear a lot of cool voices especially when you get like one person to do multiple characters or something like that and you hear somebody switching it's it's super interesting this is silent killer supremacy um, i first heard this in 2012 i think when i played in new york with uh, jeff and ebola and lady scraper at a barcore party and um uh, Silent Killer and Breaker, uh, another um, uh, producer and DJ, were on the bill. And uh, I hadn't actually heard of them beforehand, but at that point I wasn't really mad into drum and bass um, because I hadn't really heard like the kind of hard pangy drum and bass stuff properly yet. I hadn't really been introduced to it, but I, I guess these were the guys that kind of got me into it. Um, they played a set and it was just this blistering hard pangy stuff all the way through, and it was fucking amazing. And they play, it was a full vinyl set as well, which at the time and even now, I guess, is, was like was quite odd to see but it was it was really cool to see you know a couple of dudes that kind of like perfected their craft there was a lot of their own music that were playing on vinyl too which kind of blew my mind because at that point i wasn't really aware of anybody in the in the musical scenes that i was involved in pressing to vinyl um and i was chatting to them you know kind of throughout the night and they gave us a copy of the cd that they just put out and me and jeff spent the next uh, i was in america for uh, i don't remember a couple of weeks and we just drove around listening to this thing on repeat, man. Um, and from there, I, I was kind of started researching the label that they were on, Ohm Resistance. And that led to this like 10 year love affair with this label now. Uh, I've just been following everything they do for a long time. Um, and it, it, and now I'm on the label. <laughs> I released a track with them uh, earlier this year and I've got an EP coming out with them early next year. Um, and it's 
It's just kind of mad the way that goes sometimes to think about that, like you you find something that you're interested in and it seems like this unobtainable thing for a long time and then now like I, I kind of call the, the label boss a friend and um, yeah, no, it's cool. This, this tune is... Um, this whole album actually is, is is fucking wicked. Really cool. Still sounds really fresh and clean to me. The, the snare is still still smack. You call this drum and bass? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I don't know what else you call it, really. Again, I'm. Um, no, no, I think you're right. I think you're right. I'm like I say, I'm I'm pretty ignorant when it comes to comes to genres, but I think it's I don't know what else I'd call it, really. Same. Yeah. Same. Yeah, I, mean, I find drum and bass to be a really fucking stupid term. Drum and bass, and I know like what we we're talking about before. It's it's just a it's like a journalistic technique to just apply terms to something which sticks, so that people have a way to define them and and describe them. But drum and bass describes yeah, all, almost all music. Arguably, you could go from jungle <laughs> all the way to this, right? Totally, man, and metal, and everything else in between. I, I like, I almost, I don't, as much as I don't like listening to techno, I almost prefer the name techno to drum and bass because it, it almost defines it a little bit better without just trying to describe the instruments that are in it. You know what I mean? So we're into the mellow chill-out zone after that epic hour-long voyage through your tunes. Where are we now, man? We've gone completely left field. I don't think anyone's had any jazz on Solid Sound before. Ah, cool. Glad to uh, to burst your cherry in that respect. Mm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm a big fan of jazz. I've been for for years and years, um, whether it's like Weather Report or Return to Forever, or Thelonious Monk or Aldi Miola. I, I don't know, I really like interesting, well put together uh, music of that genre, but this is uh, the Hafter Medbo group. There's no way that I could get away with like listing my kind of biggest inspirations without, or musically, sorry, without a track from from this dude. If I'm right, originally born in Norway, um, and he's a he's like a kind of jazz musician and composer and guitarist um, from that uh, lives in lives in Scotland or Edinburgh. But uh, he was my music composition tutor at university, and I showed up at Napier Uni after having been into writing. Um, I was writing like a lot of, I guess, like IDM and kind of break chord stuff at the time. Um, at this composition uh, course where everybody was like f- fairly kind of traditional in what they were doing, um, uh, save for a few. And uh, he'd heard the kind of music that I was writing and I expected the, I expected people at the uni to kind of like not really get on with it, if that makes sense. But he was just super encouraging, really like kind of encouraged me to, to, to kind of think out of the box and, uh, and taught me a lot about music theory like a lot about music theory which I you know could have always endeavoured to to apply to it um, 
but he's just one one of these one of these people that comes along and it's just like he's like that sounds cool he's like go for it keep doing this try this kind of thing and you know a lot of people he was just really blunt and honest in his in his feedback as well which i always really appreciated because i think it's hard to get honest feedback from people that you know um about your music you know they're afraid of hurting your feelings or, or whatever so uh it's always just very kind of subjective and and it was always always good advice um I actually went on to to join his um, to join his band for one record called Box for the Monkeys, where um, I did all the the kind of rhythms and, and beats and stuff, all all kind of programmed at my computer, just you know the way that I, I generally did and do. Um, and then it was underlaid in a, a whole like a jazz band uh, recorded on top of it, kind of thing, which is really fucking cool. Um, and <laughs> Actually, going back to what we were talking about, about my a reactor patch is shitting themselves live. We built a live reactor looping patch to loop incoming audio for the Edinburgh Edinburgh Jazz Festival. And um, it was, he was playing guitar and there was a, uh, a cellist called, uh, fuck, Justina Yablonska, I think. And uh, I was kind of sampling their incoming audio, playing some beats at the same time, mashing it up live. And uh, one of the loops got stuck and I couldn't get rid of it. And it just kept playing and I couldn't make it stop without turning the whole thing off. So there's a video on YouTube of us playing. If anyone wants a good laugh, you can look, you can, you can watch it. And you will hear the same loop playing for the entirety. It's like 20 minutes long or something like that. Um, I just couldn't get rid of it. And at the end, I was like, yeah, the thing fucked up. <laughs> Such is life. Just the way it goes, man. But yeah, the thing with feedback, right? Is do you think sometimes if someone gives you a lot of feedback, yeah, obviously you can learn from that. But do you not think, in some respects, you're tempering your art to their tastes? Uh, depends how you respond to that feedback. I mean, if if you if you listen to all the feedback that you get from one person or everybody, and you respond to it by acting on it, then yes, you are. Uh, if you if you listen to it with a certain filter and you try and remain aware at all times that it's just one other person's opinion and your initial opinion is what led you to that uh, composition maybe trying to amalgamate the two try and work out what, what works best um, take their their experience into account I think you can you can certainly find a nice even ground between the two yeah an EP coming out early next year with uh, Ohm Resistance uh, on vinyl before tracks of uh, uh, kind of drum and bass related music um, other than that yeah I have a few other bits and bobs kind of lined up for next year but uh, I guess I'm not allowed to divulge them just yet until they're out yeah good stuff man right on thanks man alright well thanks for taking the time to set the call it's been class man I really enjoy talking about music I don't get to do it too often so this has been a lot of fun wicked mate alright well uh, I'll hopefully see you at some bank face in the future after this coronavirus bullshit finishes thing. Yeah, man, when we're allowed. Yeah. When we're allowed, eh? Looking forward to it, mate. All right, be lucky, man. I'll speak to you soon. Bye now. Cheers. There's bud. All right, I'm done. <laughs> I stopped recording now.